Welcome back, friends, to John Guest Remembers, the weekly CCGF podcast chronicling the life and ministry of Pastor John Guest. This week, John reflects on meeting, courting, and marrying Kathy, as well as recounting their first year of marriage and ministry together, which includes the conversations with the ministry leaders that would bring John and Kathy to Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining us as John Guest Remembers. Well, the miracle of meeting Kathy and marrying her, and now the uh, 53, 54 years of marriage that we have had, and the way the Lord has used our lives over all those years, was a miracle in the first place for me. I was 30, and I remember lying on my bed at Mrs. Neal's prior to uh, meeting Kathy and going out to Colorado on that trip just lying on my bed with all the urgings and longings of a sexual relationship to a woman, praying that if the Lord wanted me to remain single and I had some great models in my life, like a John Stott and my own vicar, Canon Druitt, who had remained single all their lives, um, that if the Lord wanted me to, he would have to perform a miracle. But outside of that, I besought him uh, to provide for me the wife that I needed. So meeting Kathy was quite a miracle. As I've mentioned, we met in June in Colorado. When I first saw her, uh, her beauty just uh, overwhelmed me. And I began to find out who she was and whether she was an available young lady. So we began a very strange kind of relationship, only because of the distance we were set apart. So when I went back to Philadelphia and she was finished with her leading the work crew at Silvercliff Ranch in Colorado, she went back to Seattle and continued her work with Young Life, and I continued my travels with my guitar and constantly was calling her And my idea was to get her to come east for two weeks at a beach mission so that we could get to know each other. And Wonder of Wonders, uh, along with her boss, Bill Starr, I think it was, a leader with Young Life, in any case, she then was granted permission to come and work with me on the beach at Delaware, Rehoboth, Delaware. And then she went off back to the West Coast again, and uh, we had then similar long-distance conversations as I tried to encourage her to come to Covenant College, Lookout Mountain, Tennessee, where I was going to be resident for several months, a couple of months at least, as a soccer coach. And there, if she could come, we could really spend time together. And again, the wonder of her being able to do that and willing to risk that. She came and spent those two or three months on Lookout Mountain. I stayed with one faculty member in his home as a tenant and she in a, another faculty home. And we courted and uh, got engaged. And that's all a miracle of God's grace to find a woman who loved Jesus in that extraordinary way that uh, she has, and that she was falling in love with me and that we were going to get married and then did marry 
was all just a remarkable spiritual gift. And we've had a wonderful marriage together spiritually. My children have said of, of their mother, because we have uh, three daughters and an adopted daughter, Susu, they have said to, to, to Kathy that if she had never married me, she would still be in ministry. Kathy is a natural-born, gifted counselor and friend and prayer warrior and uh, an amazing gift to me. She's kept me humble over these years of marriage when I get carried away with myself and uh, kept me close to the Lord when I found myself drifting emotionally and time-wise. And we have had the most amazing life together of ministry. So that's set out with our engagement and uh, marriage, and then off for our honeymoon. For that honeymoon, I wanted we would travel together. I had exchanged (laughs) through sale my crummy, beat-up Chevy 2. I don't know what year it was. It'd be fun to find that out. But it was old when I bought it and uh, a wreck when I traded it in for a new Dodge Dart. And it was that Dodge Dart that we took off with in our marriage. Uh, The back of the car was filled with rice and balloons. And our first stop was at a Howard Johnson's, still in Philadelphia, where we were married, where we emptied all that stuff out at a a trash dumpster behind the Howard Johnson's and then went in the front and had a cup of hot chocolate together and then took off for our honeymoon. And I wanted Kathy to experience the beautiful places I had been along the East Coast as part of our honeymoon. Sad to say, it wasn't azalea time in Savannah, uh, which is when I first experienced the brilliance of the azaleas, the American azalea. That was in my travels with Tom Frierson when I was doing a various various kinds of speaking around the USA. And we had taken off one day down to the uh, south in the middle of an ice storm in Philadelphia. And it was springtime in Savannah, and it's covered with azaleas in the squares and down the streets. And I was awestruck with that. And so on our honeymoon, we went to Savannah, and then we went on down to Jekyll Island. Uh, just picking up uh, a place to stay. We didn't even have that organized. We just went to a motel and rented a room each time, each stop. And that was quite an experience. And then we came back from uh, Jekyll Island. That was as far south as we went. We were learning how to have a prayer time together each day as part of our marriage. We committed ourselves to that. As far as I know, that was always part of our lives, not just to say grace at meals, but to have a reading of Scripture and prayer time. So coming back, we went through Williamsburg, another amazing place that I had visited, and uh, she got to experience Williamsburg, which is, again, for an American, quite amazing. I'm not sure if I've mentioned this, but uh, along the way, when Kathy came east in those first weeks, We went through Washington, D.C., and then around Philadelphia, and she had never seen the kind of buildings that she thought were old 
and ancient, which by uh, English and European standards is not the case. They look very handsome, but they're not old, old. She was amazed at the wonderful stone bridges and buildings that there are in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., and up and down the East Coast. Anyway, we settled in Philadelphia, where again I began traveling, and Kathy uh, became, she had a teaching license. Kathy became a substitute teacher, so she traveled around Philadelphia some, mostly on a train, and uh, I traveled uh, around and about the USA again. I remember the first time I, I, I left Kathy to go on the road. Uh, we were both staying at Mrs. Neal's, and uh, amazingly, we didn't have a bed to come back to. So we had makeshift sleeping at uh, Mrs. Neal's, thing like a couch and a single bed. We had nothing. We had each other, and I had a job which was very modestly paid with Scripture Union traveling and speaking, and she picked up some money along the way with substitute teaching. Back in those days, that was all so modest, it, there, there was no way we could afford for her to come with me. As my career developed, often and most of the time when I travel to speak, Kathy is able to come with me, but not in those days. So the first thing we needed to do was to uh, rent an apartment, which we found in another part of Philadelphia, close to Germantown, Mount Airy. And uh, we rented an apartment on Boyer Street. It was an upstairs apartment. It had wooden floors. It was a newish building. We had a garage underneath where we could park the car, and then we'd go up a flight of stairs to our upstairs apartment. And the people who owned the upstairs apartment lived underneath us. And they always knew when I was home in particular because we'd walk around on this wooden floor and they could hear, hear us through the ceiling, and uh, they complained about it. And so here we were toward the end of 67, moving to 68, and we had heard that you could go around all the Sears Roebuck stores and pick up their old samples, carpet samples, books of them. And so we went from store to store and picked up their last year's samples, took them home, took out all the relevant colors that would match, and uh, taped them together so that we had a carpet upstairs. Of course, that was part of the coolness of the late 60s. That was what we had for a carpet. And then people began to give us furniture. We got a bed, and then a mattress, and then some chairs. And it's amazing, the friends who found and gave us stuff. We had no money to go and buy anything. We had the money to buy to rent the apartment, and then we gradually furnished it with gifts from different people, uh, whether they had died and left furniture or people shared with us the furniture they had. But we put together this little home on the second floor. And so for a year then, 67 and 68, I traveled and spoke, and Kathy did substitute teaching. One wonderful thing that winter. I remember, was that um, Kathy ran the car through a car wash. And, I mean, we were so naive about so many things. There was a, 
a coupon she picked up that offered uh, a free vacation down in Florida near uh, uh, Fort Myers, uh, Lehigh Acres, uh, like uh, three nights and four days. Of course, what they wanted to do was sell us an apartment on this uh, new development. Anyway, we sent off for it, and sure enough, we got the three nights and four days, or four nights and five days, whatever it was. And uh, it was in the winter, so uh, we signed up for that and ended up traveling down to, we flew into Fort Myers, which was a very small airport in those days, and then got a ride out to Lehigh Acres, and there we spent a week. But we combined that. I knew how we paid that. Now I'm reflecting on it. I had been invited to come with my guitar and speak and play in Fort Lauderdale, which was across the peninsula from uh, Fort Myers, <clears throat> uh, at a very what became a very famous church, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale. In those days, it was still a smaller church, but they had purchased a fire station, an old fire hall, for their youth ministry. And they were bringing me there to play my guitar and sing and speak about the Lord. So then I met the famous minister as he became, D. James Kennedy, and met some of the other staff. And we stayed with one of the other staff guys and his wife and their two little girls. That's when I first experienced Florida, because that chap, whose name escapes me right now, took us for a boat ride on the canals that were around Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale. And then I saw the coconuts floating around in the water there, and I'd never seen coconuts before. Fascinated with the way of life, the palm trees that they all took for granted, and which was a wonder to me, having been born and raised in England. I was still new in so many ways to the USA. We were at Lehigh Acres primarily because there was a golf course there, which I got to play every day. For the first day or two, Kathy walked around with me, and then she got fed up with that. She didn't play golf. And uh, I was playing with a couple of guys. Well, we played several rounds of golf, and then I mentioned I needed a ride over to Fort Lauderdale, and one of them had to go there, and so he offered us a ride. And so with our brief baggage and my guitar case, we rode from uh, Fort Myers, Lehigh Acres, to Fort Lauderdale. And I remember us just sitting on the side of the road waiting for somebody to come and pick us up. Those were the days when we didn't have cell phones and we called from a payphone and then were waiting. Like a couple of vagabonds with, you know, a suitcase and a guitar sitting on the side of the road on the curb, waiting for this minister to come and pick us up and take us to his home. All of that was very novel, exciting, and uh, uh, sharing our lives and sharing in this ministry. And so when we got back to Philadelphia and back to our apartment, uh, I started traveling again, and I had a speaking engagement in Rhode Island. And the other speaker, Kathy, knew. Uh, we were both invited to a high school conference at Barrington College in Rhode Island, 
where these high school students from New England were going to be assembled. I think they were called rising seniors. So that was a uh, their age. It had been about uh, 16, 17. I was one of the speakers with my guitar. Anyway, I had an album out, uh, which was quite a, a, a thing in those days, so that made me something of a celebrity. And Reed Carpenter was a known speaker with Young Life, who I had never heard of, but Kathy had from her Young Life days. And she told me that uh, I was really going to enjoy him, that his humor was uh, staggering, unbelievable, and that uh, he he was very cool in his communication of the faith and the Lord Jesus. And sure enough, when we met up at that conference, I did my thing with my guitar and my English accent, and uh, which was much more English in those days. And uh, uh, Reed Carpenter was as cool as could be and uh, very engaging. Well, we weren't responsible for running anything. We just had to speak and be available for conversations so in between a number of these times of speaking and performing we would go off to a friendlies which i'd never heard of either in those days but was a i think a new england franchise and have a hamburger together and talk about our lives and our ministry and reed had come from pittsburgh to that engagement i had traveled up there from uh, philadelphia so we met and got to know each other, and sitting at those friendlies, I shared with him a vision for my ministry, which was to try and encourage Christians to bridge the gap between where they were and where the culture was with these young people now getting into the rock and roll scene. The Beatles had come over in 1964, and that started the English invasion. And I guess from a Christian point of view, I was part of that coming with my guitar and music that sounded Beatlesque, but was uh, singing about Jesus or a way to find Jesus and the lonely kind of search that we were on until we found Jesus. So I was sharing with him my ministry of wanting to reach those who weren't churchgoers and encouraging the church to start coffee houses and uh, other places of meeting and engagement with young people so that they could evangelize. And I actually helped establish several coffee houses that ran for a number of years. And in fact, one thing that happened was another, it's amazing the high profile, I, I know I've spoken of this, that God gave me in ministry because I ended up in Washington, D.C., at Fourth Presbyterian Church, a very famous Presbyterian church there, which was highly connected to the persons who normally were hired as Senate chaplains. Dr. Richard Halverson was the pastor at that time. Anyway, I met the people who were running the fellowship amongst the politicians and world leaders, and they had me play my guitar for them. But out of that, by playing my guitar and speaking at Fourth Presbyterian Church with the young people, that led them to form a group called the Sons of Thunder, which was the nickname Jesus gave to John and James, the brothers. He called them Sons of Thunder. And, so the, and this group functioned for years in and around the D.C. area as a, a bridge into the, the high school and college culture 
with music that was much more relevant and songs that were, you know, connecting with them and worship that connected with them. So that was another outcome of my ministry. Uh, we started a coffee house near Philadelphia called The Garage, as I would say it in England, The Garage, and that's what it was. And I remember performing there. And our performances in those days had developed the technique of singing secular songs first. So we'd sing Beatle or Simon and Garfunkel or Donovan or songs that uh, the, they knew, and then bridge that into uh, music that was singing about Jesus, uh, but in a contemporary sound and talking about those songs. And the garage, the garage, uh, functioned for years as a coffee house. Uh, we established like two or three of those around the Philadelphia area, but the one I remembered very visually and uh, emotionally was the one they called the garage, which was out near Mainline Philadelphia. Anyway, uh, Reed Carpenter, as we talked about our various visions, spoke about one that he had bought into, gotten connected to, in Pittsburgh. And it was that Pittsburgh become as famous for God as it was for steel. He spoke about an Episcopal minister who had brought that vision, developed that vision in Pittsburgh. His name was Sam Shoemaker, very famous American pastor who'd been at a large church in New York and then came to Calvary Episcopal Church in Pittsburgh. And uh, he actually was one of the founding members, designers, of the AA seven-step program. He had died by the time I ended up moving to Pittsburgh. But the man who took his place in leadership in Pittsburgh was a man by the name of Don James. Don had been a businessman who had come to faith in Christ through Sam Shoemaker, had gone from business into, uh, did some training in theology at an Episcopal seminary in Kentucky, and then was ordained and working in Pittsburgh and heading up what was called the Pittsburgh Experiment. But this vision for Pittsburgh, which transcended denomination, uh, culture, race, uh, ages, uh, you know, Reed was into the high school kids, Don James was working with the business community, they were looking for someone to bridge that gap between high school and business, in other words, to reach into the university and college world to which these kids were graduating when they left high school. And uh, I'd begun connecting with student ministry with my music and uh, speaking about the Lord. And so when I heard about this vision for Pittsburgh, I thought I could give myself to a vision like that because it wasn't denominational. It wasn't about one particular church on a street corner. It was about the city moving together, working together, transcending culture, economic levels of society, leadership in society, the various branches of leadership in society from government to business to education to medicine to capture the city for Christ. And the vision was this, to win these kids to Christ when they were in high school. That was young life. And at one point, 
uh, Reed Carpenter and his Young Life volunteers had something like about 5,000 high school kids meeting weekly in Young Life clubs around the city and were making their way into the urban setting as well with the African-American community. But when these kids graduated and went to college, the idea was to follow them to college, continue to work with them at their various universities and colleges, and then give them, sell them on the vision to come back into Pittsburgh with their various uh, expertise of uh, whether it's education or business or medicine or whatever, and commit themselves to the same vision in Pittsburgh. And if you did that long enough with the people cooperating at the various levels of leadership, you could eventually change Pittsburgh. Sad to say that never ever really came to pass as we envisioned it, though a number of organizations have flourished within Pittsburgh. But as we're sitting in Friendlies talking about this, he said, would I ever come to Pittsburgh? Would I consider that? So I said, yes, we would. So I went back home to Kathy in Philadelphia from our time in Barrington and told her about this vision in Pittsburgh. Meanwhile, Reed Carpenter went back to Pittsburgh and chatted with Don James about me. And so it came to the point that uh, they asked me to come across and interview. So I went from Philadelphia, took Kathy with me to Pittsburgh, and uh, we interviewed with the leadership of the Pittsburgh Experiment because this all led to our being called to Pittsburgh and coming here to do student evangelism, student discipleship, and to work with the universities as well as the high school kids, of course, to be known to them and work amongst them, uh, along with Young Life. And so in 1968, the fall of 1968, about the time of our one-year anniversary, Kathy and I packed our stuff up in a U-Haul truck. Uh, I drove the truck with our few belongings, and Kathy drove the car following me across the Pennsylvania Turnpike from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. If you are enjoying this podcast, let us know on our Facebook page. You can find more episodes of John Guest Remembers and Christ Church's other podcast, Our Church, Our Stories, on our webpage ccgf.org or wherever you find your podcast by searching for ccgf talks thank you for listening